Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Last week, I mentioned that Stephanie, who asked about instilling confidence in her stepdaughter, had another question. So today, I'm going to answer that question, which is about parenting in divorced families, when it comes to two different sets of rules, respecting the other parent's rules while having your own set of rules. The second question is from a mom wondering about sleepovers. When is a good age and when or if it's okay to pick up a child from a sleepover if they don't want to stay? Then in the last part, I'll cover a short anecdote and lesson my husband and I discussed briefly the other day about one of our kids. So our first question is from Stephanie who wrote, would you be able to touch on divorced families? We are a family of four. My husband has a nine-year-old from a previous marriage and we have an 18-month-old together. Our nine-year-old has adjusted extremely well to being a big sister and is a huge help. My issue falls with children who live under two different roofs. She will often make comments, well, at my mom's dot, 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 comparing how things are done there. I respect her mother and her rules, and I'm usually the one in our family pressing to follow her mother's wishes. As an example, no fast food, no painting her nails, etc. However, I think it's perfectly fine that we do things our own way in our home, but do not want her to think that I disagree with her mother's ways. Things such as bedtimes, showering daily, brushing her teeth more often, little things, but I feel like you could really dig into the topic in general and provide me with a lot of insight. So, parenting in step families, blended families, and parenting stepchildren can be a tricky and touchy subject. So I'll do my best to address this, but I'm also going to ask some questions for Stephanie and any others who are step parents for some things to consider as you're working through this process. So obviously there are going to be differing rules and expectations in each household, no matter how hard you try to keep them aligned. And only the most mature of divorced couples are going to be able to put their differences behind them and put the kids first in setting up rules and boundaries together that are very similar. But it sounds like in Stephanie's case that you may have one of the better scenarios. Now, I'm very happy to hear that you respect your stepdaughter's mom's rules around certain things and work to maintain those boundaries with her as well, because a lot of stepmoms would use those as leverage to gain favoritism or approval from their stepchild. So that is an excellent job that you guys are doing with that. There are some general tips when it comes to rules in blended families, and one of the first ones is to try to have similar rules as much as possible in both households. 
One of the first ways to do that is to keep the existing rules that were in place prior to the divorce and keep those in place in both households. So I'm wondering if that is how the current rules were set up, the things about the fast food and the no, um, and the no painting or nails and probably along with several other rules that those were probably adopted and kept in place, which is excellent. Were these rules your stepdaughter's parents? So the question was, were these rules your stepdaughter's parents that they had when they were together and you're working as part of this team to uphold the rules? But then on top of that, your household has some more rules in place above and beyond what was in place before, it sounds like. How were these additional rules set up and agreed upon? Was this between you and your husband? What are the reasons for these rules? Now, I'm not saying this to be at all challenging, but just for you to think about your honest reasons as to why these are important to your family values in this home that you've set up separately, especially in the case of Stephanie and others who have additional children together. Now, these are likely some very valid reasons as to why rules that are different than what the other parent has in place are in your home. Now, once you've really connected with the reasons behind the rules, would it be something that her dad or for any other families who are having issues with this, that the parent who was previously married with the stepchild or with the child would be willing to talk with the other parent about, in Stephanie's case, her husband talking with the stepdaughter's mom to get some more consistency? If not, that is totally understandable and more the norm than those that are able to still work together extremely well and extremely closely on setting up these rules. So if that's the case, then yes, it's okay to have rules be slightly different from one house to the next. To have a rule about teeth brushing or no TV after eight or bedtime is strictly at nine or what have you, given your family values. If you remember having one or more cavities as a kid or a teen and you know the importance of brushing twice a day and flossing to save time, money, and pain, then this is going to be really important to you. You want your kids to set up good oral hygiene habits early, and that's a good thing. Sleep is also very important, and most kids just honestly don't get enough sleep. So if staying up past nine or whatever bedtime you have set means difficulty in getting her up for school the next day, then that's important. There's a reason for that rule in your house. She needs to be alert to be ready to face the day and learn. These are all good rules for good life habits. But also, remember to look at kids as individuals. And I'm using this more as an example for co-parents and step-parents, or really any parent for that matter, who have kids that are closer together in age. Some kids do just require less sleep. So if your child is getting up no problem with their bedtime, or more likely, if they're waking up early every morning raring to go, and the child is asking to stay up later, then you might wanna consider it. It may mean that you say something like, you can read quietly in your room until X time or until you get sleepy, if you feel like the child can handle that decision on their own. This way, you still get adult time. They get away from screens or rough play that can be stimulating and cause issues with falling asleep, but they still get to stay up. Then if, once you implement this, they struggle to wake up in the morning, you know you need to pull it back but allowing some experimentation gives your child an opportunity to learn about his or her health needs and boundaries and that respecting those is important. But if your stepdaughter happens to just be waking up okay in the morning, not doing great, or she's waking up fine, but you know that she needs that amount of sleep, that bedtime is important. Set the rule and you can hold to it. That's totally fine. So 
What do you do or say when you have a rule that is different than the other parent's home and the child is mentioning it? So let's use the teeth brushing that Stephanie mentioned, for example. First, you wanna let the child know that every person and family is different. And so no two people and no two families are ever going to be exactly the same. And they're never going to run exactly the same. Then you wanna share your reasons for having the rule. Neither of these undermine or put down the other parent. They just are. So for example, if you remember struggling with cavities or extra cleanings as a child or as an adult, or you know someone who did, you just explain that and why it's important to take care of your teeth. And this is what I tell my kids when they don't want to floss or when they don't want to do their morning brushing, which is usually only one of them in particular. But I say, once you have your adult teeth, you don't get any more chances. If you mess them up, you don't get a replacement. Having cavities filled is no fun. Root canals, ugh, don't even go there. Gum issues are all terrible to deal with. And a lot of those come on in adulthood if they don't get good oral hygiene skills when they're children and get that practice. The best way to keep these things from happening is to learn how to take really good care of their teeth while they're young. They need to last the rest of their lives and that's a long time. Now, obviously, the other reason for morning brushing is the bad breath issue. And when my son pushes back on this, I tell him his breath smells and his friends might not want to talk to him. It's gross because they're getting older and they're going to start noticing these things and they're going to start commenting on them. Now, just when I think I've touched on just about every aspect of parenting, I get another great question that I haven't even begun to address. And believe it or not, sleepovers are a controversial issue for some parents. So I will answer the next question about sleepovers as well as a short anecdote and lesson my husband and I discussed briefly the other day about one of our kids when we return after a word from our sponsor. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads, love where you live. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. 
But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Now that we're back after the break, let's get to the next question. Jessica wrote in to ask about sleepovers. She writes, Hi Erin, first of all, I love your podcast and I've gotten better after listening to your advice. I wanted to ask what you think of sleepovers and how old do you think is appropriate for this? My niece invites my four-year-old daughter all the time to a sleepover, but when they're about to go to sleep, she ends up crying and calling me to go pick her up. I don't know if I am destroying her independence or maybe if it's too soon for her to do this any advice would help. If you haven't read or heard or had discussions with other parents about sleepovers, they are something that some parents really struggle with, whether or not to allow their child to sleep over at someone else's home. Now, I'm not sure and I don't think that this was a part of Jessica's question, so I'm going to address the pieces of the question I know Jessica is curious about, and then I'll get into the controversy of them, share some information about why they may or may not, or when they could be the choice for your family. As far as her age, it sounds like your daughter is just not quite ready yet. In general, four is definitely on the early side, but given that it's family, you may be feeling more comfortable with it, and she may be as well, than if it were a friend from preschool. If she's calling to have you come get her, it's perfectly fine to go and get her, and I would actually recommend that you do. She's just most likely struggling with some separation anxiety, and if you can, it is good to let her know that you're there for her in this capacity for the overnights. This way, she'll be more likely to try again the next time she's invited and really wants to, but won't be afraid that she'll be left to struggle if she's feeling unsure about going all night without you. Now, I'm guessing the niece, in this case her cousin, is older. So why not have the cousin to your house for a sleepover to get your daughter used to the idea of a sleepover and having a playmate there for the entire night and the fun that follows of having breakfast and playing together the next morning. And then when she sees how fun that is, she might be more willing and interested in going and staying at her cousin's house. So I wanna get into the controversy of sleepovers. 
Some parents say no to sleepovers ever, and I do understand why. If you have a young child with you, you may want to consider listening to this next piece with headphones or waiting until they're not present, as I'm going to get into some concepts that you may not be ready to explain, or you may want to share in your own way in an age-appropriate manner later on. Now, when I was working as a therapist intern, I heard all kinds of stories of lewd and inappropriate behavior that happens at sleepovers. Now, we did work mostly with middle school kids, and my supervisor was adamant about sleepovers only ever happening at his house. He had teenage daughters at this point, and he talked a lot about sleepovers and all the rules that he had around them and gave us all kinds of warnings about this, and all of that just really stuck with me along with dealing with some of these kids that came into therapy after dealing with, honestly, some trauma that they faced at sleepovers. So I'm going to share some sobering statistics and I don't mean to scare anyone, but I think it's important to be informed. So you base your decisions accordingly. We hear so much talk about stranger danger and frankly, it really kind of gets me ruffled because the truth is that 90% of kids who are sexually abused are abused by someone they know. Strangers are not who we need to be talking to our kids about. It's the people they know. Sexual abuse encompasses more than physical acts. It includes exhibitionism, voyeurism, exposure to pornography, and communicating in a sexual manner. Child sexual abuse is likely the most prevalent health problem children face with the most serious array of consequences. About 1 in 10 children will be sexually abused before they turn 18. Now broken down by gender, it's 1 in 7 girls and 1 in 25 boys. As we know, these types of crimes are vastly underreported and so these numbers could actually be much higher. Approximately 30% of children who are sexually abused are abused by family members. The younger the victim, the more likely it is that the abuser is a family member. Of those molesting a child under 6, 50% were family members. Family members also accounted for 23% of those abusing children ages 12 to 17. About 60% of children who are sexually abused are abused by people the family trusts. So 90% are people they know, 60% are people the family actually knows and trusts. It's not just adults that perpetuates sexual abuse. Juveniles are the offenders in 43% of assaults on children under six, and of these offenders, 14% are under age 12. Now the most common ages are between 12 and 14, and that tends to drop off, the offenders that is, between the ages of 12 to 14. There are a lot more statistics, but I feel these are the main ones of which to be aware, especially when it comes to sleepovers. And of course, this is a whole topic that is on my agenda to cover in the podcast and a class as to how to protect your child from sexual abuse in all aspects of life. But sleepovers can just add another area for access to your child when you're not around, and it's just really important for you to be aware of this. Now, the reason I chose these are obvious. While it sucks that if we are diligent, that we have to hold the mindset that anyone can be capable of harming our child or children, it is the best way to protect them. Even if we trust the parents fully with our child's well-being, it's also important to keep in mind any older children in the household, older siblings and our older siblings' friends who may be present as well as potential perpetrators. 
Now, I'm not advocating for no sleepovers. I think that is a parent's decision that you need to make on your own, knowing your child, knowing the people in their lives, and keeping the statistics in mind and making the decision you feel is best and protecting your family as best you can. Now, we are the parents where we are the sleepover house. We allow our kids to have sleepovers at our house. And some parents don't let their kids stay when we have a sleepover, when we send an invitation. And I totally understand why. And I'm not offended in the least when they say that their child will not be staying over, that they will come and pick up their child at 10 o'clock. I am fine. That is the parent's prerogative. And I'm glad that they're being careful and they want to protect their child. Now, my boys have actually never slept over at anyone else's house. Our daughter has only slept over at her best friends who we are very, very close with, both the parents and I fully trust them, both of these parents. So that's where we have stood on sleepovers up to this point. My daughter also takes her phone watch and knows to call me anytime and I will come get her no questions asked. We have talked with the kids at length about inappropriate touching, even hugs or any other touch that they aren't interested in or behavior that they feel like makes them uncomfortable, that they're empowered to say no and then call us to come get them and that they need to tell us anytime something like this happens. So talking with your kids about all of these aspects of sexual abuse, whether it's exhibitionism, showing porn, a touch or a hug of any kind that feels unwanted or unwelcomed, letting them know it's okay to come to you and not just okay, but that you want them to come to you. You don't want to make it something shameful or secretive by not discussing it. It sends the message that we don't talk about it. So bring it up early and often so they know it's a topic that's okay to discuss. Because so many perpetrators will say, don't tell anyone. And that's what mine did. And I felt so gross anyway that I didn't tell anyone. But had my mom warned me, I probably would have told her had she had the discussion about it and that I should come to her should it happen. I probably would have. And I think I've discussed my experience before, but if not, or if you have not heard that episode, I was four years old and my perpetrator was a family member and a teenage male. So this is not a fun topic, but a necessary one. And when I create the class on protecting children from sexual abuse, I will go into more details as to what to watch out for and ways to empower your kids because predators do test kids to see which ones are more vulnerable. And since we can't be with our kids 24 seven, it is important to educate and empower them, but without scaring them. And I wanna bring up another anecdote. I don't know if any of you have seen this going around um, the social media, but there was a parent who had worked with their son to text them anytime there was an issue and they wanted them to come pick him up, no questions asked, all he was to text X. So one night this boy did text his dad an X and he went and he picked up his son immediately. And there were some things going on at this sleepover at this party where his son was really uncomfortable and there were some older kids there. So they came and got him and they had this system set up in this type of case. So the last thing I want to cover is a little story of one of our experiences this week. And I hope that the challenges that we come up against and how we handle them is helpful and informative to many of you parents out there. Now, I mentioned a few episodes ago how our oldest, Carter, has set this dollar goal for selling popcorn for his Cub Scout pack. So he goes out almost every day to reach this goal. Well, the truth is that this goal of his is really taxing to our family. It has just become an awful lot of effort for both his dad and I. 
Now we can't let him go out alone. We did when he went just on our street, but now that he's covered our neighborhood and he's going further and further out, plus it's getting darker earlier, we just can't do that. So one of us has to go out with him for his hour and a half to two hour stints of trying to sell popcorn several times a week. Now the reason he set this goal and it's $6,000 worth of popcorn, by the way, because once he sells $6,000, he gets an Xbox One. Now he's currently just over halfway to this goal. And as we're looking over the number of forms this kid has filled in already, and he's going to need to double that because he's now just past halfway to his goal, we're realizing that the task of delivering all this popcorn will be daunting. And so my husband and I mused with each other, do we just buy him the dang Xbox, telling him he's done an amazing job setting his goals and working towards it? And seriously, we were only half joking about it, but we did quickly say, no way, this is not a good idea, because we don't wanna send the message that if he doesn't reach a goal, that his parents will just bail him out. Now, I won't lie, it was a tempting thought. But we know it's not the best answer for his personal growth. He's got a goal. He's intent on meeting it. It'll be a reward very well earned. And regardless if he doesn't make it, I am beyond proud of his tenacity for sure. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.